morning, it's good to see you and appreciate the reading of God's Word as that sets the scene for what we uh, want to study from God's Word in just a moment concerning the demands of repentance. In fact, we've kind of outlined a couple of lessons that are in the bulletin for the day uh, this morning about the demands of repentance and this evening the difficulties of repentance. So uh, we're going to, uh, to spend uh, both of the lessons looking at, uh, hopefully, uh, um, uh, in a more comprehensive way, uh, some of the things that, that are at the heart of repentance. If it could be that you're here this morning and uh, through being convicted by the Word of God, you understand that there's sin in your life, then we want to encourage you to not only understand what repentance is, but make this a day when you obey God's command to, to repent of those sins, to be forgiven of them by God, to have that salvation that's in Jesus Christ, to become a Christian. Repenting is part of, of being, uh, preparing the heart so that uh, in confession of a faith that we have, that Jesus is the Christ, we may be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. And so if you're not a Christian, we want you to become one, to be saved from your sins, to be added by the Lord to His church, and then to be a faithful Christian. So repentance is not just on the other side of the water, but it's on this side of the water as well. That is that uh, God calls upon us to be, be vitally involved in examining ourselves, our hearts, so that uh, when we find sin, when we know that we have sinned because God's Word convicts us of our sin, that then again we will repent, confess it to Him, uh, that we might be forgiven by Him. And so it's important for those who are not Christians to understand repentance, and it's important for we who are Christians to also understand it and to know that really the demands that repentance makes upon sinners is the same, whether you're not a Christian or you are one. And, uh, it, and so I hope that helps to set the scene because honestly, and, and reality is that in the world, sin has been erased from people's minds people's consciences, people's vocabularies. We don't, people don't talk about sin. Uh, when they come to a worship service, they, want, they don't want to hear about sin. They want to be lifted up. That's why right. you wonder why Joel Osteen doesn't talk about sin and he draws a crowd of 50,000 people every week. Because he, he says people, are, people are, uh, are, are ne- have enough negativity in their life, they need to be lifted up. So he talks about all kinds of self-esteem issues, but he doesn't talk about sin and redemption in the Savior. When we talk about repentance this morning, it's because we have a Savior who, who redeems us from our sin. Uh, so when we talk about repenting, undergirding that is is understanding and knowing that the Savior died for me and that through His sacrifice offered to God, I have a means of redemption, salvation. My faith can be counted to me for righteousness. Your faith can be counted to you for righteousness if you have the faith to do what He says. You know, saving faith is just not believing something, it's doing something. And so it is with repentance. Repentance, as we're going to find out, a message that was preached to the world, Luke 24, this is the essence of the Great Commission. He said, 
to His apostles that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. We preach repentance because there's a Savior. And in the preaching of repentance, there are certain demands that must be preached. So, so we're talking now, you know, we talked actually even in our, lesson, in our class this morning about love forgiving, but now we're going to talk about the need for us as sinners to repent when we know there is sin in our lives. Sin that violates God's will or not doing what God says is right. To be able to repent of that and to have the forgiveness of those sins through Jesus Christ. So, the demands placed upon us to be right with God and be right with those we sin against, that's what we want to talk about this morning. The word repentance means a change of mind. It means changing our heart. It is a heart issue when we're talking about repentance. And tonight we'll talk about the realities. It's not easy to repent. There's a demand placed upon us to fundamentally change our thinking. Now, why do we say you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Because we get set in our ways. When we get set in our ways, we think our ways are good enough. Our ways are sufficient. But God says, you're going to have to change your ways, Joe, to conform your ways, your thinking, to my thinking and my ways. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Isaiah 55. So when, when Joe, when you sin against me, you're going to have to change the way you think. You're going to change the way you think. If you're going to change the way you live in order to be right with with me, with God. And it's the same with every one of us. When we violate the will of God, God says, I want you to change your thinking. Change the way you're thinking about that. So you can change the way you're living. We want to get people to live differently, but we need to take time to talk to them about it and show them God wants them to change the way they think about it so they change the way they live. That's true with every one of us. Now, the common mistake when we start talking about repentance is that it means to turn. That's the result of repentance. Repent does not... The word metaneo in the Greek language means change the mind. And that produces a turning. The turning comes after repentance. And, and, and so if we just say, well, repenting means turning, we have fundamentally missed an important ingredient, the most important ingredient in defining repentance. It is, I've got to change my mind because I can change my conduct and never repent. I, I, can start, I can start coming to worship service and never change my heart about being here. God wants me to be here to learn to change my heart. That's not an excuse not to come. But I need to understand that God wants a fundamental change in my heart for being here. In Acts 26 and verse 20, you see, if I don't change my heart, I won't turn and change who I am. God wants us to change who we are. Christ will change who we are. His Word of truth will change who we are. But we've got to open the heart and that means we've got to change our heart. And that's up to us. 
Well, God's not going to force Himself into your heart. He says, I'm knocking at the door. Will you open your heart? Will you open your life? It, in faith, it begins when we repent. Look at Acts 26 and verse 20. Acts 26, 20. You're struggling with sin in your life? You're struggling with yielding to temptation fundamentally? Then we're talking about we're going to change our heart about it. And then we'll get to work on changing our conduct. But let's first of all work on our heart about it. And Acts 26.20, declaring first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout all the regions of Judea and then to the Gentiles. This is what Paul was doing. He says he was preaching that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. See, he said repentance comes before the turning. They need to repent. The sinners need to repent, turn to God, and do works that are appropriate to the repentance. So, so let's don't make that common mistake. Let's get it right. Let's realize that when we talk about repenting, we're talking about changing heart. Change the way we think. Change what our attitudes are. We're changing that mechanism that drives our conduct. The heart. Now, in 2 Corinthians 7 and 10, that Brother Cameron read for us, it it teaches us that repent that this is exactly what repentance is is a change of heart and it's produced by godly sorrow you see repenting is not being sorry there's a sorrow of the world and it produces death judas had the sorrow of the world he was sorry that he had handed jesus over and he hung himself as a consequence of that sorrow he didn't have godly sorrow he didn't have sorrow that was was godward but this passage, 2 Corinthians 7.10, actually 9 and 10, 9 says your sorrow led to repentance. You see that? The sorrow wasn't the repentance. Your sorrow led to repentance. Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. So we got a three-step process. Godly sorrow convicted by sin, actually. God's Word convicts the heart of sin. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. What shall we do? And they were told to repent and be baptized. So we've got the hearing of God's Word that convicts the heart of sin that produces, and that conviction is that godly sorrow producing repentance when they understood we have a commandment before God. God has commanded us to change our heart toward the sin we've committed. Change their heart and then it says that leads to salvation. And there's no regret in that. Sorrow of the world produces death. There's plenty of regret there. But you see, godly sorrow produces repentance. Convicted by truth that there's sin in my life. Now, is truth convicting you this morning that there's sin in your life? If it is, then you need to have the godly sorrow from that conviction. You know, you can go one or two ways. You can choose to have godly sorrow or you can choose to get upset. You can choose to harden your heart. You can choose to ignore that conviction. And over time, it will, it, that conviction will, will leave because God's not going to force His way in, you see. But if you're convicted of sin, then change your heart about the sin and let that lead you to 
the fruit of that repentance. Changing the heart, changing the life. You see, the change of life comes when we change our heart. Christ has commanded repentance. He said, I tell you that unless you repent, you will also perish. Luke 13.3 and Luke 13.5. It is not optional if we want to be saved. If we want eternal life, then it's a commandment that we obey out of love for God, love for Jesus. God commands all men everywhere to repent, Acts 17.30. And He has provided a word that will convict us. But we have to use it to examine ourselves. We have to be comfortable with the word sin. Know what it is from truth. Be convicted when we find it in our hearts. Have godly sorrow over that. And repent. Producing the fruit of that repentance. That uh, is the effect of the repentance. We'll, we'll talk about that here right now because I'd like for us to look at Luke 3, 8-14. And, and, and note some of the, the real demands that are placed upon the person who repents. When we say, I repent, there's some real demands in Scripture that God puts on us in this, issue, this matter of repentance. Um, Luke 3. Let's just pick our reading up in, in uh, uh, actually, I have verse 8 there. Let's, let's verse 7. This is John preaching in the wilderness to the Jews who came out to Him. And He said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by Him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Now whatever John was preaching and doing had escaped from wrath to come as a result of it. Preaching of the Word of God, verse 3, verses 2 and 3, the Word of God came to John and he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So the effect of believing and obeying His Word was escaping wrath against sin. Remission of sin. That's what you want, isn't it? You want your sins to be removed? Escape God's wrath? Okay. Then He said, well, who warned you? He said, therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. God's about to chop this tree down. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people began to ask Him, saying, what shall we do then? And He begins to give answer, and we'll come back to that. So, fundamentally, the first demand of repentance is I've got to desire it. I've got to desire it. What shall we do then? John laid out the case. He laid out the situation. There's wrath coming. The, the, the axe is already at the root of the tree. The tree is about to be chopped down. In other words, the, the punishment's about to be applied. In, our li- in, in my life, in your life, if we have sinned and we have not repented of it, if we've not had that removed and forgiven, the axe at the root of the tree, brethren and friends, what's going to result when God swings the axe? I've got a desire to repent. We can say, well, I've been commanded it. Yes, God's commanded all men everywhere to repent. But we have to desire to repent. You see, again, conviction of the sin by the Gospel. As we mentioned a moment ago, we're going to be convicted 
by truth in our heart that that sin needs to be removed. And there's something I have to do. If I'm going to repent and bear the fruits of repentance that are worthy of repentance, he says, then I've got to desire it. You know, that, that goes back to godly sorrow for our sin. Sorrow leads to repentance. Godly sorrow produces repentance unto salvation. So, how sorry are we about our sin? You know, a good measure of whether we're ready to repent is, is the attitude we have about the sin we've committed. Do I justify it? Do I explain it? To myself or to others? Am I I'm in the explaining business? Am I in the reporting business? I report my sin to Tyler, but I don't really repent of it when I sin against it. I report it. I can identify it, but identifying my sin is not the same as repenting of it. I can tell you my sin. Okay, have I changed my heart? Because I tell you I've sinned? No. I can do a lot of things with, with sin, but, but repenting of it is I'm, I'm changing fundamentally my thinking so I can then address the conduct that, that is the sin. Our conduct comes from our hearts. So, so that's where we've got we to go. Look at that happening with Simon in Acts 8th chapter. We've got to go to the heart for, for sin's remedy through the blood of Jesus Christ. In Acts the 8th chapter and beginning in 20, here's a man who had recently become a Christian. Simon, the sorcerer, previously deceiving people with his magical arts, presenting himself as having the great power of God. But then he sees a real miracle. In the real miracles work through Philip. And he believes the Gospel Philip preached and was baptized. And now he is a Christian. And he sees the apostles... Peter... Uh, I, I'm sorry... Uh, Peter and John, he sees Peter and John laying their hands on Christians and imparting miraculous spiritual gifts to them. And he offers them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomever I lay my hands, they may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 20, Peter said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore. Now get that. You see the point? Your heart's not right. What did he He did something wrong. He offered the money. But behind that, there was a heart that was not right. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness. And pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. No, it's significant, isn't it? He didn't say so that offering money will be forgiven you, but that the thought of your heart's forgiven. If when the thought of the heart's forgiven, then the thought of offering money for that power wouldn't exist. Or the conduct. The conduct is remedied when the heart is changed. And so Simon answered him and said, Pray, Lord, for me that none of these things that you've spoken may come upon me. Simon had to want to obey the commandment to repent. That's the demand of repentance. We have to want to change our heart. Understanding that it's the heart that drives sin. 
It's the heart that germinates sin. Each man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust and enticed, and, the, and, 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 and that uh, enticement when it's full grown brings sin, or temptation is full grown brings sin. Temptations come to the mind, and it germinates there, and it bears the sinful fruit. So I've got to change the heart to extract the sin that, that, that's been produced in my life. As the blood of Jesus cleanses me of it. But we're talking about actions of faith on our part. It takes faith to repent. We have to trust that God's right when He says, if you change your heart toward this conduct, if you change your heart toward me and, my, and, and, and violating my will and not doing my will, then I'll bless you. And your life will be better and different than it is now and what God wants it to be. It'll be better spiritually. You may have to endure a lot of things for my sake, but in the end, it'll all be, it'll all be rewarded by an eternal crown of righteousness. Do you want to repent? You never will unless you first want to understand the significance of the imperative, the essential nature of repentance to be saved. Now, another demand is we've got to bear fruits that are worthy of that repentance. Back to Luke 3. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. That's a demand. Remember, Paul was to preach that people should repent, turn to God, and bear fruits worthy of repentance or befitting of repentance. That is corresponding to repentance. I've got to correspond to the way I live, to the attitude of heart that I confess to changing, that I say I'm going to change. If I'm changing my heart toward stealing, then I'm going to stop stealing. If I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to really stop stealing if I don't change my heart about it. You see, whatever the sin is, or maybe it's not stopping something, maybe it's adding something. Maybe it is, I have not been kind. And I'm going to repent of that. So I'm going to now add that to the way I conduct myself and speak my words. So whether it's doing things I shouldn't do or not doing the things I should do, the fruits correspond with the change that results in our, in our heart, in our mind. And that's a demand of repentance. That's what it takes. Now John goes on in that text. Let's look that some things must be done. When we, as, as people said, what then shall we do? We want to do it, but you need to teach us what we should do. There are some things we need to do when we repent. Demands put upon us. He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. But to the tax collectors also... They came to be baptized, and he said to them, or, or they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Uh, and likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. So we have the people, we have the tax collectors, we have the soldiers, and each one of them 
recognize they need to do something and are answered each one by the Word of God to make particular and specific changes of life that correspond to a changed heart uh, concerning the will of God. In all of them, in all of them, there's an idea of repudiating the sin. They had to repudiate the sin. They had to disavow the sin they were doing. They're saying, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to do that anymore. That's implied. You've been selfish. Now, be giving. Verse 11. You've been greedy. Stop that. You've been violent and, and lying about people. Stop doing that. You've got to disavow the sin. The Ephesians illustrate that. The Ephesian idolaters in Acts 19, they burned their books. Remember that? The magical arts that were associated with their paganism. In, in, in Acts 19, verses 19 and uh, 18 and 19, many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Okay, so they've, they've now been convicted by the Gospel. Paul preached, verse 17, the name of the Lord was being magnified. Many were believing it and they came confessing, telling, exposing their, their actions, their deeds. And many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted them up the value in total 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. You see what they did once they changed their mind, convicted by the gospel of their sin, is they disavowed their association with that sin. They repudiated. They made positive action, positive steps that corresponded to the sin. So we're not going to do that anymore. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to help eliminate that temptation. We're going, to, we're going to burn the books. But we've, got to, we've got to do our part in finding the way of escape when tempted. Remove the temptation. Repudiate the sin. In, in Ezra chapter 10, and tonight we'll talk more about this, so just a, just a, a brief observation as another illustration. The sinful marriages in Israel in the days of, of Ezra, it says there again, this is what they did. Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, you have transgressed and taken pagan wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now therefore make confession to the Lord your, your fathers and do His will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the pagan wives. And then all the assembly answered and said in a loud voice, Yes, as you have said, so we must do. Now, note in, in each one of these, and in this, Jesus, it, it doesn't say, well, there's nothing you have to do, just don't do it again. He didn't say that. Because they were involved in sin, he said, get out of the sin. Stop committing the sin. We can't, it's, it's not enough in repentance to just say, I won't do it again, but I'll keep on doing, I'll keep on in, in, in the sin, sinful relationship or sinful action that I've already started. No, repudiate it. Disavow it. Get away from it. We're going to have to do that. That's fruit of repentance. That they said, well, we, we confess we shouldn't have married those women, but now we're just going to keep them around. That wouldn't have been repentance. So, are, so, so, when, I, so when the Scripture says and shows us we need to desire to repent, part of that desire to repent is I'm, I'm ready to repudiate my sin now. I'm ready to disavow it. I'm ready to recognize it for what it is and say I don't want any more part of it. But when we do that, 
there's something else that comes along, and that is to restore what we did that was wrong as our ability enables us. Zacchaeus. In Luke 19th chapter, verses 8 and 9. Remember Zacchaeus? The, the little man who had a big faith. It says that as he's in the, the tree to see Jesus as he passes by, and, and now he has uh, gone to his house and is speaking with the Lord. In uh, verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because you also he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Zacchaeus was lost, but now he's saved because you see, he demonstrates in his life, among other things, a faith that caused him to be careful to restore when he had taken things falsely. If somebody had lied, if, if, if false accusation had brought uh, taxes into his purse, he said, I restore it four times over. You see, sometimes we want to just say, well, I did wrong. Um, I admit it's wrong. I, 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 don't, I don't want to be a part of that wrong. But then we just but we don't really work on trying to restore the wrong we did. That is, correct the things that happened. The law of Moses commanded restoration. We're not under that law. We're under, we're under the Christ Gospel that says we need a heart that brings fruit that's worthy of the change of heart. Like Zacchaeus. He's the son of Abraham. He's not talking about the flesh there, I'm, I'm convinced. He's talking about he had the faith of Abraham. Zacchaeus was the son of Abraham because he had the faith of Abraham. And the faith of Abraham was to restore things as, within his ability that were wrong. To make it right. Make it right. Isn't that what our heart wants to do when we change our heart? We want to make it right. We want to restore just as much as we can do. It's in our power. It peace of all men, the Scripture tells us. What must we do? Well, we must reform our conduct. Change the change. See, we, we repudiate the sin, we restore the wrong, and we reform the conduct. The man, the man had two sons, Jesus said. And first, he told both of them to go into the field and work. The first one said, I will not, but later he regretted and he went. And the other son said, I'll go, but then he didn't go. And Jesus posed the question to the chief priests and elders he was speaking to on that occasion, which one did the will of the Father? And they said, the first. And then he made the spiritual application. He made the application to them. You know, we're fine. We're fine making application to others, but he made it until the Lord starts making it to us, right? Well, he makes it to us. He wants us to look at ourselves in this. He said, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Because John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. They didn't accept his message of repentance and baptism for the remission of sins. They weren't among this number that said, said what shall we do? No. Well, the tax collectors and harlots were. He said the tax collectors and harlots believed him. 
And when you saw it, you did not afterwards relent and believe Him. Even after you saw their change, and their willingness to follow John's teaching, you refused. You wouldn't reform your conduct. You didn't repent. We've got we to reform what we're doing. But it, it, their demands, when I, when I repent, I say, I repent. Please forgive me. Great. I forgive you. <clears throat> now it's up to me to disassociate myself from sin. To, to banish it. To, to restore and to reform. I know we pointed out those people were rebuked by Jesus, chief priests and elders, because they didn't learn that lesson. They didn't reform themselves, even when they saw others reforming themselves. So, yeah, there's there are things we got to do. There's a demand. There's one other demand to note here before we close, and that is the cost of repentance. It's costly, and in that verse, chapter eleven, uh, three, eleven through fourteen, there's there's some costs associated with with uh, with repenting. Uh, you know, some sacrifice, some contentment, uh, some some uh, you know, just paying the price necessary to be paid to think differently and act differently. To put on put off the old man and put on the new man, Ephesians four says. Now that's not easy. Tonight we'll talk about that in more detail. It's repentance is a deliberate giving up of the way I think and of the sin I commit. Giving up of the lust, giving up of the uh, pride, giving up of those things that God says not to do or start doing the things God says I ought to be doing. He says in Ephesians 4, put off concerning your former conduct the old man that grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There's repentance. Renewed in the spirit of your mind. Renew the way you're thinking. Change your mind. Repent. To do what? To put off the old man, the way I used to think, the lust that used to drive me, and the conduct I used to do. And you put on the new man that's created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. With Christ as our model, we now develop righteousness and holiness. Repentance is radical. Mentioned this last week. It's 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 radical and, and sacrificial. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out so that you can enter life, though maimed. He says in his figure of speech, better to go into life maimed than to have both the eyes and, and go to hell. It's, it's just better. We, 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 we can get that figure pretty clearly. Also, the things that were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Loss. Sacrifice. Sacrifice ourselves. Sacrifice those things that are needed to pay the price that has to be paid for Count the cost to be a disciple. Jesus talked about counting the cost of paying the price to follow Him, and really that's what this repentance is about. Repenting is about following Him, not following ourselves. If I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I must repent. No, no question about it. 
no two ways about it. That's going to mean I'm going to have to love Him more than father and mother, more than brother and sister, more than life itself. Luke 14th chapter. Jesus just talks in that way. He says, you come to Me, Whoever doesn't hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. We honor our mothers today and properly so, rightly so. But we can never love our mothers more than we love Jesus. We can never let, we can never let the devotion to a mother or to a father turn us away from doing the will of God first. Amen. You see, costly sometimes. Christ has to be paid. Jesus said, therefore you also. He says, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Yes, it's, it's demanding. It's costly. God give up some things to truly repent. Let's close by looking at the effects of repentance. Because you, you see, we can see repentance. The Bible teaches us that, that when, when, we, when we repent... It's observable. He said in 2 Corinthians 7, 11, Observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. Now, what did He just said that produces? That produces repentance. Godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. So now, He gets specific. What does this salvation look like? What's the effect of this repentance? Paul, in them. In Corinth and in us. Well, he said, Behold what diligence it produced in you. These are things he says that are observable. We can see. He says, What diligence? You you had a careful rush to correct the sin when Titus came to you and he brought my first epistle to you of the sin there that you were accommodating and participating in. He said, "You, You repented. Corinthians 5. And other sins that 1 Corinthians talked about. There's a careful rush to correct their sin. You were diligent. That's the fruit. That's the effect of repentance. We, we rush to correct things. What clearing of yourself. There's a diligent change that answered the critics. That would answer anyone who stepped back and, and say, well, you haven't really repented. No, there's a clearing. The word is apologia. Apologetics, giving an answer. He said, The fruit you're bearing in your life gives clear answers that you've repented. That's what it does. You can see when there's repentance. Indignation, displeasure over the previous sin. We now have. We take no pleasure in what we've done. We understand that our sin hurt, harm. And now we have no pleasure in that. What fear it produced in you? A dread. Phobia is the word there. Fear Him who destroys soul and body in hell. Fear God. That's seen as an effect of repentance. What vehement desire. You have an earnest longing. A yearning to do and be right. It's obvious because of of conduct that ensued. They, they followed the will of God. You see, they obeyed the commandment because they repented. They changed their mind toward it, toward their sin. Zeal, what zeal, what fervent spirit. 
You are not apathetic, but zealous in following the commandment of God. Vindication. You dole out justice. Handing out justice. You, you, well, you, you vindicated because now you're on the path of truth and justice rather than sin. You repented. You changed your heart about the sin. You've been proved clear in the matter. You've proven yourself, as he sums it up, that, that, that all things you proved yourselves to be clear in the matter. To be pure. We're once you were defiled. There's fruit to repentance. But it's demanding. We've been commanded to repent. That's, we've got to repent to escape wrath to come. We will perish if we don't repent. We've got to fundamentally change our heart. Convicted by truth of sin. Change our thinking about the sin to change our conduct concerning the sin. That we stop the sin and we bear what is good and right in the sight of God. If there's sin in your life this morning, we hope that God's Word has convicted you to repent of it. To change your mind and bear the fruit of that repentance. God will forgive. He has remission of sins ready and available. He wants to forgive you when you repent. And He will. And we want to encourage you in that to become a Christian or to repent as a child of God. To change our heart and life towards sin and Various fruit. We want to help you do that. Won't you respond to God's call while you stand and be seen?